I may sit tonight because I need to, uh, uh, it's just difficult stuff, so I may need to look at my Bible and notes a little more. Is that okay? I mean, you're sitting. If you'll stand, I'll stand. I mean, you know, we, we can work it out that way. I knew you'd be okay with it. Uh, football season is a few weeks away from starting college, junior high, peewee, uh, NFL, and they're, in football, they're in what they call right now preseason practice. And I played football for many years. And preseason practice, unless your coach is just has a very small brain, preseason practice is the most difficult practice there is. It, it absolutely is. And as I was thinking today about this sermon uh, in getting sick on the practice field. This sermon made me sick. No, I'm teasing. Uh, I thought about in, in preseason practice, there was always a part of it that was the most difficult. And when I was in high school, we would practice in the morning and the evening. And our coaches were pretty smart. They would make the first practice the hardest. And, and, and really the first part of the first practice was uh, we would do a lot of running and agility drills. and It was very difficult. And so I can look back and say, during that difficult time, this was actually the toughest part of that time, if that makes sense. Tonight, we're in Romans chapter 9, which I have said, I, I believe, is the most difficult chapter in the Bible. There's other chapters that may be a little, you know, that are very hard to understand too. But this is the one that's got legs to it. Some in Revelation, you can go, well, I don't understand that, but I'm not supposed to. We probably need to understand kind of what it's saying in this chapter. And and in verse 17 through 23 is where we are tonight. I believe these are probably the most difficult verses in this most difficult chapter. Now, why are we looking at this chapter? For several reasons. One, it's in the Bible. That's a pretty good reason, correct? And and so... it would be a lot easier on me if we were in John 3.16 tonight, but we're not. Uh, this is a confusing passage. And if you're reading your Bible like you should, you should every year read through the New Testament. So you should read through Romans 9. And when you do, you're either reading it through real fast so you won't have to pay attention to it, or you're leaving confused. And so we're, we're trying to make some sense out of this tough passage. Folks have gone way weird in my opinion, by misunderstanding what Romans 9 is teaching. So that's why we're in it. We're going to be, uh, next week we've got a special children's program. And then the following Wednesday we will conclude this. And in the fall, hallelujah, we will be in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And blame God too. I believe he wanted me to preach this to you. So here's the overriding thought tonight. God is in charge and God will win. Amen. And we had the invitation and we went home. Wouldn't it be nice to have stopped there? God is in charge, and God is going to win. God's given us a lot of freedom. He's given us a lot of freedom to make good choices, to make bad choices. But ultimately, God is in charge. God has, I believe, at least three types of of a will, things he wills. He has a, a perfect will. That's, I believe, salvation, who you marry, career choices, that it's your absolute best to do it. He has the permissive will. Hot dogs or hamburgers, I get both so I can stay in his will. And he has an absolute will. These are things that, are, that God has decreed and these are going to happen. And tonight we're looking at those. Romans 9, uh, 10 and 11 are really God 
talking to the Jewish people about salvation and who he has chosen to be saved and how he has chosen to work. If you remember, we looked a few weeks ago that God's chosen the Jewish people for a special purpose. Uh, They thought it was for salvation by race, and he said, no, 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 it's salvation by grace. But still, he chose the Jewish people, didn't he? You can, you can pray and, and cry about that, but it's never going to change. He chose them for a special purpose. Uh, he, ha- he chose a special uh, route and scope of salvation. Salvation was going to come through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and through Jesus. And, and you can fight that, you can kick that, and you will burn in hell forever. I mean, that, that is the, that's, God has decreed that's going to happen. Salvation is through Christ alone. And that really was difficult for the Jewish people to swallow. That Again, that's what chapters 19 and 11, a lot of are about, was that God's saying, you're not going to heaven simply because you're Jewish. And in fact, everybody can come to Christ, even those Gentiles who even the apostles struggled with, even they can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the background of this. Now, Here's the the thought that we're going to look at primarily tonight. Even a king cannot thwart God's absolute purposes and his glory. A king, a dictator, a president, a preacher cannot thwart God's absolute purposes and his glory. I want you to look. These won't be on the screens, but they're in your Bible, and I'll read them if you don't have a Bible. Just a little background from last week. Verse 12, she was told the older will serve the younger. This was that, that Jacob will serve Esau. Jacob never served uh, Esau, never served Jacob, but they, the people they did. This is Israel, Jacob, Edom, Esau, and Edom was Uh, eventually subservient to Israel. Verse 13, it's written, Jacob I love, Esau I hated. You go, oh, but if you were here last week, hated means love less or it means a different priority. Like in Luke 14, it says, hate your mothers, brothers, and sisters versus love God. He doesn't want you to hate them. He wants you to put God first. God chose Jacob, the Israelites, over the Edomites for salvation and to be his people, uh, for salvation to come through them. Verse 14, what shall we say? Is God is unjust? No, God is not. God is just in making these decisions. Verse 15, for he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion to whom I'll have compassion. Remember, we, we looked last week at Romans eleven thirty-two. God says, I'm going to have compassion on everybody. Isn't that neat? You got to get in the Jewish mindset 2,000 years ago. That didn't sound neat to them at all. In verse 16, so it doesn't depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The salvation depends on God. We can't earn it. We can't create it. We can't wake it up. Now, let's get into verse 17 tonight. That's your background, your context, as is the whole chapter. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh... For this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, people go, goodness gracious, God raised Pharaoh up to send him to burn in hell forever. That is exactly what this passage is not saying. This context is not talking about individual salvation. When it says in verse 17, I raised him up, this was not that I nurtured Pharaoh from birth so he would go to hell, I raised him up and put him on the throne. This is interesting. This is the story of Exodus. Pharaoh and Moses very likely may have grown up together. 
Remember, Moses was a Jewish person, but he was raised in the palace. Educated the same way, raised like little kings that they were. The Pharaoh was the head of Egypt. Folks, this wasn't an elected position. This was a bloodline position. And, and this, this was not just a king. The Pharaoh was an absolute authority. In, in fact, he was considered a deity. If you don't know what that is, that means a god. He was considered a god. He probably considered himself a god. And Egypt's the most powerful known country in the world at that time. This is the context of that. So Moses and Pharaoh begin to butt heads. God's saying, let my people go. And Moses is saying that for God. And it starts off in Exodus 5, 2. Listen to what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh said, who is God that I should obey his voice? You got a problem when that's how you start a conversation. And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord moreover. I will not let Israel go. Enough said there, isn't it? Listen, God raised Pharaoh up not to raise him up to send him to hell automatically. He raised him up. He allowed this guy to become the the king of the most powerful country of the world so God could let the world know who God was. And that's pretty neat, and it gets neater. He says in verse 17, I've For this very purpose, I've raised you up to show my power and that my name might be proclaimed throughout all the the earth. He's saying, my name, Pharaoh, I've put you in this position. Not so you'd have to go to hell forever. That was not what I raised you up for. I raised you up. You're a jerk. You're a sinful, evil person. I'm going to use you. I'm going to turn it around, and I'm going to use you to make my name and my fame known. Isn't that cool that God can do that? In verse 18, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now, that's disturbing, isn't it? It's disturbing. Remember Romans eleven thirty-two. God says, I've coincigned everyone over to disobedience so I can have mercy on everyone. God wants to have mercy on everyone. It's not a salvation issue. The word hardened, it's interesting, the, the, the background of it was a medical term in Paul's day. Doctors talked about a bone calcifying or a joint getting stiff. It became hardened. And so when this word was used, obviously the Greek people at this era knew it. What does this mean, though, that God says that uh, he will harden whomever he will harden? Uh, is it talking about? He's going to cause you to reject Christ, harden your heart so you'll die and go to hell. Is that what he meant with Pharaoh? Uh, Again, absolutely not. What it meant was God said, you know what, Pharaoh? You want to reject me? You want to do your own thing? You want to have your own will and your own purpose? That's okay. I can play along with that too. But let me tell you, before, before Pharaoh, God hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. Exodus chapter 8, verse 15, it says, so, so, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, that, that the pressure had let up, he hardened his heart and would not listen to him, as the Lord said in verse 32. Verse 32, but Pharaoh 
hardened his heart this time also. And he did not let the people go. He was sinful. He was arrogant. He would give his word, and he would go back on his word. And, folks, and then what the Scripture says is that God participated with Pharaoh in hardening his heart. Exodus 9, 12. It says, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to him as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now, what's going on here? Was God causing Moses to sin? I mean, causing Pharaoh to sin? No, I don't think so at all. In fact, when we look at the whole Bible, James chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, James 1, 13 through 16, coming there, it goes, uh, no, that's Romans 1, 22. Let me paraphrase James 1, 13 through 16. These passages say that God doesn't cause anybody to sin. If you were tempted and you sin, it's because you choose that route. James 1, 13 through 16. Romans chapter 1 Verse 22 through 28. Let's go to those. Claiming to be wise. Now listen, this is kind of long. This is important. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this very reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations for women and were consumed with passion for one another, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, what God do? God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In other words, what that passage in Romans says is Romans says, you choose a path like Pharaoh, you choose a path, you harden your heart, you stay on a sinful path. One thing, God's going to let you go that direction. God's not going to force you to do what's right. And as you and I go a direction against God, listen, this is so important. Your heart gets harder. Your heart gets harder. That's why some people can sit in church for 70 years and die and go to hell because their heart was sensitive 50 years ago. But if you hear it long enough and you don't respond, you you are going to have a hard heart. Dr. Leon Morris is a New Testament scholar. Here's what he said. The Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say God hardens anyone's heart first. They harden their heart, and then God either lets them go that natural route, or in the case of Pharaoh, God used this evil king. He said, I'm going to harden my heart. I believe God let it go its natural course. And God even said, I'll jump in there and help you, Pharaoh. I'll jump in there and let your heart become hard. I'll even add a little bit of hardness to it. Because you're going to be sinful and wrong, I'm going to get the glory, and my purpose is going to happen through you. I was watching a political show a few weeks ago, and they were commentators talking back and forth, and, and, uh, and they were talking about politicians getting caught in, uh, on a national level and getting brought down. And one of them said, hey, on a national level, it's not going to happen anymore. They're too powerful. They're too sneaky. They got too much money, too much control. There's not going to be something come up that's going to dethrone one of these national politicians. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what Pharaoh th- thought. 
And folks, never forget this. If God can bring Pharaoh down, there's no president, no preacher, no church member, no politician, nobody anywhere that God can't bring down if God needs to bring you down. And there's no politician or purpose. You say, man, I'm scared about November. I am too. So we need to pray, don't we? We need to know this too. Whoever sits on that, it may not be God's person, but God's allowing them to sit there. They goof up and go a wrong enough direction. God can bring it back. God will bring it back eventually for his purpose and for his glory. But it's so important to understand. Let's talk about us. Don't harden your heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Hebrews 3.15, Hebrews 3.15 says, As it is said, today if you hear the voice, you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. It's kind of weird. Pharaoh hardened his heart in the, keeping the Israelites from leaving Egypt. Then they got free and hardened their hearts. Isn't that how we are? Folks, if your physical heart, if you're having problems, uh, if you're not doing well on a stress test, your blood test, your EKG, whatever, you need to pay attention to that. Because if your heart's, if something's wrong with your physical heart, you need to respond to that or it may seal your faith. Spiritually, it's the same way. God's speaking to you. You need to obey God. I, I used to hear old preachers, and I had a granddad that would say this, that, that God speaks to you and you have a limited window to respond. And if you don't respond, you may never have that opportunity again. Now, I don't know if I theologically believe that or not. But I know this, it's dangerous when God's speaking and we don't answer the door. Because the heart becomes hard. Hey, the, hey, the same God that was speaking to Pharaoh spoke to Moses. Spoke to Moses in the desert through a burning bush. And Moses obeyed him. Pharaoh rejected him. Isn't it funny? The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. And the same Spirit of God that may be speaking to your heart tonight about your eternal soul or about some career move or about something you need to do or where you need to repent. Some of us, it's going to harden our heart. Some of it's going to soft us. Let God melt your heart. But always remember, God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart to send him to hell. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God complied with him. It wasn't for hell. It was he, God was going to use him for his purpose and for his glory. God used the wannabe God to bring glory and honor to his name. Here's something neat. Ran across this a few weeks ago, my own personal prayer time. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 8. Look what it says. These are the Philistines talking. The Philistines were not known as great Christian people, by the way. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? They're talking about the Israelites. These are the gods, it, it's, it's our God, not gods, who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Now, the Jewish people were fixing to go fight the Philistines hundreds of years later. They didn't have TV, CNN, Fox, t cell phones, Facebook. They didn't have mail. <laughs> and hundreds of years later, they still knew how Pharaoh got showed up when he stood up to God. And Four or 5,000 years later, we're still talking about it because God's going to win and God's purpose and his glory is going to get the victory. That's what this is all about. Look in verse 19. You will say to me, why does he still find fault? 
Who can resist his will? Remember, it's talking about purpose here, not salvation, not individual. But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? That's a pretty good response. Well, what is molded say to its motor? Why have you made me like this? I've said that to God a lot. I need about five more inches and a better metabolism, but little Romans 9 humor, can you laugh with me? I'm the perfect weight for a six foot eight guy. And I've seen that on the medical charts. Thank you. Verse 21, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable uses and another for dishonorable uses? A lot of Old Testament references in Romans 9 through 11 because this is to Jewish people. The most common thing in, in a Jewish person or in, the, in Rome in their houses were, were pottery items. It'd be kind of like today me talking about the TV or the couch. You're going to go, because you know what a TV and a couch is, correct? They knew what pottery items were. And, and the potter had the right to do what he wants to with, with the the what he makes. He can make something for an honorable purpose, pretty or maybe not so pretty. Folks, here's one thought behind this, that the potter made vessels that went in the temple. What an honor if you're a piece of clay to become something used in the temple. The potter also made urns that ashes were put in of dead people. And in their day and age, that wasn't as honorable as it is for ours. I don't want to get too crude, but the potter also made bathroom items. You following me? Doesn't the potter have the right to make what he wants? And none of us want to be bathroom items. I'm not saying that, but it's just saying that God has the right. This is talking about purpose. This is not talking about salvation. And you don't want to push this too far. We're made in the image of God. We're not clumps of of clay. But, But he's trying to get across to us not salvation issues, but purpose issues. God has, God can make the call. God can choose to use us and in and, and whatever way he wants to. Our deal is we need to find out how he wants to use us and let him use us. How well would it have gone for Pharaoh if when Moses said, come and let him go, he said, you can have him. Get him out of here tonight. Wow. The book of Exodus would have been two chapters instead of 40. Verse 22 and 23, these don't get any easier. What if God is desiring to show his wrath? And to make known his power, and he has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Can you say, "Uh uh-oh, to that? That's pretty thick, isn't it? Let's look at verse 22. What if God, you see the word if, the conjunction there? That's pretty significant, isn't it? Very possible, I'm not saying it is, very possible he's using a hypothetical illustration here. What if, what if God chose to do these things? Did God make people? Did God create people? Let's get more personal. Did God create your child or your grandchild with the sole purpose that they would burn in hell forever for his glory? You want to buy into it, friend, you got to buy into it. Because believe me, if you buy into it, it's just not your family who's chosen. <laughs> There'd be plenty in your family who aren't. I want to tell you, I, I, that's not what this passage is saying. But what is it saying? The word wrath there is an interesting word. 
it, it's, a, it's a word for anger, but it's a word of passion. Aristotle said the word here used for wrath was a desire with grief. It was a wrath or desire, but there was a heartache behind it. The word destruction literally means hell. It means exactly what you think, eternal damnation, separated from God. But here's the key word in verse 22. It's the verb prepare. Now, listen to me. I, this is going to be tedious, but it is so important. Greek grammar experts say that the word prepare is a middle voice verb. Hadn't you been waiting all week to hear about a middle voice verb in church? Have you ever heard about a middle voice verb in church before? See, you come to First Baptist, you're going to hear things you'd never heard before. But it's important. You're hearing that on the internet. The middle voice verb is a reflexive action verb, a reflexive action verb. What it means is the subject of the verb acts on itself. The subject of the verb acts on itself. Here's the way the best scholars translate this verse. The vessels of wrath prepared by themselves for destruction. You get that? The verb, the subject acts on the verb. Vessels of wrath prepared by who? Themselves for destruction. Folks, this is so huge. God never created anybody for hell. In Matthew 25, it says hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for humans. I want to give you several scriptures here. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn away from his, his way and live? Verse 32, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Isn't that great? There's tons of verses. I'm just going to give you a couple. I've been quoting Romans eleven thirty-two 32 all night. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on, on all. Great, great, great verse. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2, 4. Who desires who? All people to be saved and become to a knowledge of the truth. In my, one of my favorites, Second Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise about his return to earth, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Folks, God wants everybody to be saved. But without Christ, you are not going to be saved. And I think verse 22 is driving that point home. That's a bad spot to be in. John 3, 18 follows some of the most beautiful verses in the Scripture. But this isn't pretty. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Folks, it's tough stuff. The Bible says God is patiently waiting for people to be saved. But a lot of people are going to reject God. How do you become a vessel of wrath? Is it predestined before you were born? You better hope not. And I absolutely believe it's not. You prepare yourself for heaven or hell by your choices or your lack of choices. But here's the bottom line, folks. In the end, even people who are going to hell are going to glorify God. Did you know that? Write this in your, in your margin or in your notes. Philippians chapter 2, it says, And someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. I've heard some liberal theologians say that's universalism, that everyone will be saved. That's not what that teaches. 
Bible's so clear, not everybody's going to be saved. What that's saying is that, that every person, whether they're on their way to hell or they're on their way to heaven, and you're on your way to heaven, you've already done it, but every person's going to bow and say Jesus Christ is Lord before they go up or before they go down. That's going to happen. Let's use Hitler as an example. I'm not being judgmental. I'm preaching on judging Sunday morning. My guess is Hitler didn't make it to heaven. I don't think he got saved in the bunker before he killed himself. The fruit of his life were not very good. Amen? So you know what? Before Adolf Hitler was sent to hell, he bowed his knee and he looked at the Jewish Jesus and he said, You are Lord. God got some glory right there before Hitler departed this evil life that he lived. Verse 24 and 26 get a little bit better. Excuse me, 23. In order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, he is prepared beforehand. Who are the vessels of mercy? Verse 24 through 26 tells us, even us for whom he is called, not from the Jew only, but also from the Gentile. That would have really upset the Jewish people. As indeed he says in Hosea, the, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in every place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And then we go down to verse 33, the end of the chapter. It's written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, of, a stumbling block and a rock of offense to many. Let's flip it. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Read Romans 10 when you get home. Who are the vessels of mercy? The people that respond to Jesus Christ's mercy are the vessels of mercy. Folks, you, you, you know why we are passionate about reaching Ruston for Christ? You know why we take mission trips and we give over $300,000 a year for causes outside of Ruston and, and this church and through the world? Because we believe whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and we also believe that God says it's not going to happen if somebody doesn't tell them. And so we believe we are supposed to tell them. So we're trying to cooperate with God. He created that plan. It isn't going to change. We got to buy into it and accept it. It's what he's laying out to us. You know, one final thought, talking about God getting the glory and God winning. In Paul's day, Paul was a nobody. He's a big shot to you and me. He was nobody then. He was a Christian. They were just small sect. He was a Jewish person by birth. They were despised. Uh, he died a martyr's death, probably wasting away in prison before he died. The Caesar was the name for the king, the emperor, and Nero was probably the emperor when he was, uh, Paul was around and when this was written. Uh, Nero, the, the Caesar was like a god too, really. It was uh, honored that way. And it's funny, 2,000 years later, we name our dogs Caesar Nero, and we name our kids in our churches after Paul. Isn't that neat? You, you know why that happens? You know why that happens, folks? Is because God's in charge and God's going to win. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we don't understand all this, but what we do understand, help us to act on it. Help us to see your love for us and our need to respond to you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Tonight, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, come do that this evening. Leave your seat. Surrender your heart. Come to Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. You can do it after church or you can come when we stand right now. 
let us help you. You join our church. We'd love for you to. Christian, maybe you're struggling with some things. You need to obey God. You need to obey God tonight. If you know what he's tapping on your heart, obey him. Obey him where you're standing. Come to the altar. Pray with the minister. Kneel down. But let's submit to God. God's going to win. Wisdom says that we submit and follow his plan. Let's stand. You come now as we sing.